Section 14 of the Convivio. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Convivio by Dante Alighieri. Translated by Philip H. Wicksteed. Treatise 4, Chapters 1 through 5. Chapter 1 Love according to the unanimous opinion of the sages who have discoursed of it and as we see by continuous experience is that which brings together and unites the lover to the person loved wherefore pythagoras says in friendship many are made one and inasmuch as many things are united they naturally communicate their qualities to each other insomuch that sometimes the one is completely transformed to the nature of the other it comes to pass that the emotions of the loved person enter into the loving person so that the love of the one is communicated to the other and in like manner hatred and longing and every other passion so that the friends of the one are loved by the other and the enemies hated wherefore in the greek proverb it says all things should be common between friends so when i became the friend of this lady mentioned above in the real exposition i began to love and to hate in accordance with her love and hatred i began therefore to love those who follow the truth and to hate those who follow error and falsity even as does she but inasmuch as everything is lovable in itself and naught is to be hated save for the evil superinduced upon it it is reasonable and right to hate not things but their badness and to strive to sever it from them and if any other is intent upon this my most excellent lady is most intent i mean upon severing from things the badness which is the cause of their being hated for in her is all reason and in her as in its fountain is the right i following her indeed as an emotion to the best of my power abominated and despised the errors of men to the infamy or blame not of the erring ones but of the errors blaming which i thought to make them displeasing and when they had become displeasing to separate them from those who for their sake were hated by me amongst which errors there was one that i chiefly reprehended which inasmuch as it is not only hurtful and perilous to those who are involved in it but even to the rest who reprehend it i set about severing from them and condemning this is the error concerning human excellence in so far as it is sown by nature in us which ought to be called nobility which error by evil habit and lack of intellect was so entrenched that the opinions of almost every one had thereby been falsified and from false opinion sprang false judgments and from false judgments sprang unjust reverence and vilipending whereby the good were held in base contempt and the bad honoured and exalted which thing was the worst confusion in the world as he may see who subtly considereth what may follow therefrom and inasmuch as this my lady a little estranged her tender looks from me especially in those parts wherein i considered and searched out whether the prime matter of the elements was understood by god 
therefore i abstained for a season from frequenting her countenance and as though sojourning away from her presence i set about contemplating in thought and defect of men with respect to the aforesaid error and to avoid idleness which is the chief enemy of this lady and to quench that error which robs her of so many friends i purposed to cry aloud to the folk who were going on the wrong path in order that they might direct themselves on the right way and i began an ode the opening of which i said the sweet rhymes of love which i was wont wherein it is my purpose to bring back folk to the right way concerning the proper knowledge of real nobility as may be seen by making acquaintance with its text on the expounding of which i am now intent and inasmuch as in this ode i am intent on so needful a succour it was not well to speak under any figure but it behoved me to provide this medicine by the quick way in order that health the corruption of which was hurrying to so foul a death might be quickly restored there will be no need then to disclose any allegory in expounding it but only to explain the sense according to the letter by my lady i still understand the same of whom was the discourse in the preceding ode to wit that most virtuous light philosophy whose rays make the flowers bud and bears fruit the true nobility of man concerning which the ode before us purposes to speak in full chapter two at the beginning of the exposition we have undertaken the better to give to understand the meaning of the ode before us it behoves us first to divide it into two parts for in the first part the proem is spoken in the second the treatise follows and the second part begins at the beginning of the second verse where it says a certain one held empire who would have gentlehood the first part again may be comprised in three members the first contains the reason why i depart from my accustomed speech in the second i say what it is my intention to treat of in the third i ask aid of that which may most aid me namely the truth the second member begins and because me seems tis time for waiting the third begins and at the outset i call upon that lord i say then that it behoves me to drop the sweet rhymes of love which my thoughts were wont to search out and i assign the cause when i say that it is not because i purpose to make no more rhyme of love but because unwanted looks have appeared in my lady which have bereft me of matter for speaking of love at the present where be it known the gestures of this lady are not here called scornful and haughty save according to appearance even as in the tenth chapter of the preceding treatise may be seen how on another occasion i declare that the appearance was discordant from the reality and how this may be that one same thing may be sweet and may appear bitter or be clear and appear obscure can there be sufficiently perceived next when i say and because me seems tis time for waiting i tell as already observed whereof i purpose to treat and here we are not to pass dry shot over what is implied in time for waiting 
since that is the chief cause of my procedure but are to consider how reasonable it is to await the right season in all our doings and especially in our speech time as aristotle says in the fourth of the physics is the enumeration of movement in respect to before and after it is the enumeration of the movement of the heavens which disposes things here below diversely to receive the several informing powers for the earth is one way disposed in the beginning of spring to receive into herself the power that informs grasses and flowers and in another way in winter and one season is otherwise disposed than another with regard to receiving the seed and in like manner our mind in so far as it is based upon the composition of our body which must needs follow the circulation of the heavens is one way disposed at one time and another at another wherefore words which are like the seed of activities must be very discreetly retained and let go both in order that they may be well received and brought to fruit and in order that on their own side they fail not by sterility and therefore forethought as to time must be taken both for him who speaks and for him who is to hear for if the speaker be disposed amiss his words are often hurtful and if the hearer is disposed amiss words which are good are ill received and therefore solomon says in ecclesiastes there is a time to speak and there is a time to be silent wherefore i feeling the disposition to discourse of love disturbed within me for the reason which has been told in the preceding chapter thought fit to wait on time which brings with it the goal of every longing and comes of itself as though with a gift to those who grudge not the weight wherefore says st james the apostle in the epistle in the fifth chapter behold the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth patiently enduring until he receive the early and later for well nigh all our troubles if we come to look at their origins rightly proceed in a way from not knowing how to handle time i say that since it seems well to wait i will lay down that is to say i will let be my tender style that is the tender fashion i have observed in discoursing of love and declare that i will tell of the worth whereby man is truly gentle and whereas worth may be understood in sundry ways here worth is taken as a capacity of nature or an excellence given by her as will be seen below and i promise to treat of this matter with subtle and harsh rhyme for we are to know that rhyme can be understood in two ways that is to say a larger and a narrower in the narrow sense it means that harmony which it is the custom to make in the last syllable and the last but one in the larger sense it means that whole way of discourse which in regulated numbers and time falls into rhymed consonants and it is so that it is to be taken and understood in this proem and therefore it says harsh in so far as it refers to the sound of the composition which to suit so weighty a subject should not be smooth and it says subtle 
with reference to the meaning of the words which proceed by subtle argument and disputation and i add refuting the judgment false and base where there is further promise to refute the judgment of folk filled with error false that is remote from truth and base that is established and confirmed by baseness of mind and heed must be given to this that in this proem the promise is first to treat of the true and then to refute the false and in the treatise the opposite is done for first the false is refuted and then the true is handled which seems not to correspond to the promise and therefore be it known that though both the one and the other be intended the chief intention is to treat of the true and to refute the false is so far intended as it conduces to making the truth more plainly appear and here the promise to treat of the truth comes first as the main intent which brings to the mind of the hearers the longing to hear in the treatise the false is first refuted in order that when wrong opinions have been dissipated the truth may be more freely received and this method was observed by the master of human reason aristotle who always first fought with the opponents of the truth and then when they had been convicted demonstrated the truth finally when i say and at the outset i call upon that lord i summon truth to be with me which is that lord who dwelleth in the eyes to wit in the demonstrations of philosophy and verily the truth is lord for when espoused thereto the mind is lady and otherwise she is a servant without all liberty and it says so that of herself she is enamoured because philosophy which as was said in the preceding treatise is the loving exercise of wisdom contemplates herself when the beauty of her eyes is revealed to herself and what else is this but to say that the philosophizing soul not only contemplates the truth but also contemplates its own contemplation of the beauty thereof turning upon itself and enamouring itself of itself by reason of the beauty of its direct contemplation and thus ends what the text of the present treatise brings by way of proem in three members chapter three having inspected the meaning of the proem the treatise is to follow and the better to show it forth it behoves to divide it into its chief parts which are three for in the first nobility is treated according to the opinions of others in the second it is treated according to the true opinion in the third the speech is directed to the ode by way of a certain adorning of what has been said the second part begins i affirm that every virtue in principle the third begins against the erring ones take thou the way my ode and after these general sections other divisions must needs be made rightly to apprehend the meaning which is to be set forth and let none marvel if we proceed by means of many divisions inasmuch as it is a great and lofty work that is now under our hands and little investigated by authors nor let them marvel that the treatise whereon i am now entering must needs be long and subtle to unravel the text perfectly according to the meaning which it bears 
i say then that this first part is now to be divided into two for in the first are laid down the opinions of others in the second they are refuted and the second part begins he who defines man is a living trunk again what is still left as the first part has two members the first is the definition of the opinion of the emperor the second is the variation on his opinion by the vulgar herd which is bare of all reason the second member begins and some other was there of lighter wisdom i say then a certain one held empire that is to say such an one exercised the imperial office and here be it known that frederick of swabia the last emperor of the romans i say the last up to the present time notwithstanding that rudolph and adolf and albert have been elected since his death and that of his descendants when asked what gentlehood was answered that it was ancient wealth and gracious manners and i say that some other was there of lighter wisdom who weighing and turning about this definition on every side cut off the last clause to wit the gracious manners and clung to the first to wit the ancient wealth and as the text seems to conjecture it was haply because he himself had not fair manners that not wishing to lose the name of gentlehood he defined it according as it made for him to wit the possession of ancient wealth and i declare that this opinion is that of almost every one saying that after him went all those who held one gentle because he springs from a race that has long been rich inasmuch as almost all bark out this these two opinions although the one as has been said is utterly to be neglected seem to have two weighty reasons to support them the first is the philosopher's declaration that what is the opinion of the majority cannot be absolutely false the second is the most excellent authority of the imperial majesty and that the power of the truth which confutes all authority may be the better seen i purpose to expound how supporting and weighty is each one of these reasons and in the first place we can have no knowledge concerning the imperial authority unless its roots be found and these we must expressly handle in a special chapter chapter four the rude foundation of the imperial majesty is in truth the necessity of human civility which is ordained for a certain end to wit the life of felicity to the which no man is sufficient to attain by himself without the aid of any inasmuch as man hath need of many things which no one is able to provide alone wherefore the philosopher saith that man is by nature a social animal and as an individual man requires the companionship of home and household for his completeness so likewise a household requires a district for its completeness since otherwise it would suffer many defects which would be a hindrance to felicity and since a district cannot satisfy itself in everything needs must there be a city for its satisfaction and further the city requires for its arts and for its defence to have mutual relations and brotherhood with the neighbouring cities wherefore the kingdom was instituted 
and inasmuch as the human mind rests not in the limited possession of land but ever as we see by experience desires to acquire more territory needs must discords and wars arise betwixt kingdom and kingdom which things are the tribulations of cities and through the cities of districts and through the districts of households and through the households of man and thus is felicity impeded wherefore to abolish these wars and their causes needs must all earth and whatsoever is given to the generations of man for a possession be a monarchy that is one single princedom having one prince who possessing all things and not being able to desire more shall keep the kings contented within the boundaries of their kingdoms so that there shall be peace between them in which peace the cities may have rest and in this rest the districts may love one another and in this love the households may receive whatsoever they need and when they have received this man may live in felicity which is that whereto man was born and upon these arguments the words of the philosopher may be brought to bear which he utters in the politics that when diverse things are ordained for one end one of them must be the ruler or guide and all the rest must be ruled or guided by it even as we see in a ship that the diverse offices and diverse ends of it are ordained to one single end to wit the making of the desired port by a prosperous voyage wherein like as each officer regulates his proper function to its proper end there is one who considers all these ends and regulates them with a view to the final end and he is the shipmaster whose voice all are bound to obey and we see the same thing in religious orders and in armies and in all things which are ordained as aforesaid to some end whereby it may be manifestly seen that for the perfection of the universal religious orders of the human race it behoves that there should be one as shipmaster who considering the diverse conditions of the world and ordaining the diverse and necessary offices should have the universal and indisputable office of commanding the whole and this office is called by preeminence empire without any qualification because it is the command of all the other commands and hence he who is appointed to this office is called emperor because he is the commander who issues all these commands and what he says is law to all and he ought to be obeyed by all and every other command draws its strength and authority from his and thus it is manifest that the imperial majesty and authority is the loftiest in the fellowship of man but some might cavil and say that although the office of empire be necessary for the world yet it follows not that reason requires the authority of the roman prince is to be supreme which is the point we have to make but that the roman power was acquired not by reason nor by decree of universal consent but by force which seems to be the contrary of reason to this we may answer readily that the election of this supreme officer must needs proceed in the first instance from the council which maketh provision for all to wit from god since the election would else not have been equal for all since before the above said officer there was no one giving his mind to the general good and because there never was nor shall ever be 
a nature more sweet in the exercise of lordship more firm in its maintenance nor more subtle in acquiring it than the nature of the latin folk as may be seen by experience and especially that of the hallowed people in whom the high trojan blood was infused god chose that people for such office so we see that since it might not be attained without the greatest virtue nor exercised without the greatest and most humane benignity this was the people who was best disposed to it wherefore at the beginning the roman people got it not by force but by the divine providence which transcends all reason and herein doth virgil agree in the first of the aeneid where speaking in the person of god he says to them to wit to the romans i assign no limit of things nor of time to them have i given empire without end force then was not the moving cause as the cavaler supposed but was the instrumental cause even as the blows of the hammer are the cause of the knife whereas the mind of the smith is the efficient and moving cause and thus not force but reason and moreover divine reason was the beginning of the roman empire and that this is so may be seen by two most manifest reasons which show that this city was imperial and had special birth and special progress from god but inasmuch as this may not be handled in the present chapter without excess of length and long chapters are the foes of memory i will make a further digression of another chapter to set forth the arguments indicated above nor will this be without profit and much delight chapter five it is no marvel if the divine providence which utterly surpasses angelic and human perception proceeds many times by ways hidden to us inasmuch as even human operations many times conceal their purport from men themselves but it is matter for great marvel if ever the working out of the eternal counsel proceeds so manifestly that our reason discerns it wherefore at the beginning of this chapter i may speak with the mouth of solomon who saith in his proverbs in the person of wisdom hearken for i am to speak of great things when the immeasurable divine goodness will to reconform to itself the human creature which was parted from god by the sin of the disobedience of the first man and thereby deformed it was appointed in the most lofty and united divine consistory of the trinity that the son of god should descend to earth to effect this harmony and inasmuch as at his coming into the world it was meet that not only heaven but earth should be in its best disposition and the best disposition of earth is when it is a monarchy that is to say when it is all subject to one prince as aforesaid therefore that people and that city who were destined to bring this about to wit the glorious rome were ordained by the divine providence and because the abode wherein the celestial king must enter ought to be most clean and pure there was likewise ordained a most holy family from the which after many merits should be born a woman supremely good amongst all the rest who should be the treasure-house of the son of god and this family is that of david and the triumph of honour of the human race mary to wit was born from it wherefore it is written in isaiah a rod shall spring out from the root of jesse 
and a flower shall spring up from his root and jesse was the father of the above-said david and it was all at the same point of time wherein david was born and rome was born that is to say aeneas came into italy from troy which was the origin of the most noble city of rome as testify the scriptures whereby the divine election of the roman empire is manifest enough to wit by the birth of their holy city being at the same time as the root of the family of mary and incidentally we may note that since the heaven itself began to roll it ne'er was in better disposition than at the time when he who made it and who rules it came down below as even now by virtue of their arts the mathematicians may retrace nor was the world ever so perfectly disposed nor shall be again as then when it was guided by the voice of one sole prince and commander of the roman people as luke the evangelist beareth witness and therefore there was universal peace which never was before nor shall be and the ship of the human fellowship was speeding straight to the due port in tranquil voyage o ineffable and incomprehensible wisdom of god which against thy coming into syria didst make so great a preparation beforehand in heaven above and here in italy and o oh, most foolish and vilest brutes pasturing in the semblance of men who presume to discourse against our faith and with your spinning and delving would fain know what god hath ordained with so great wisdom cursed be ye and your presumption and whoso believeth on you and as has been said before at the end of the preceding chapter not only had she a special birth from god but special progress for briefly beginning from romulus who was her first father until a most perfect age that is to say the time of the aforesaid emperor she advanced not by human but by divine activities for if we consider the seven kings who first governed her romulus numa tullus ancus and the tarquin kings who were like the guardians and protectors of her childhood we may find from the scriptures of the roman histories and especially from titus livius that they were all of diverse nature according to the needs of the period of time which was proceeding in their day then if we consider her more advanced youth when she was emancipated from the guardianship of royalty by brutus the first consul even until caesar the first supreme prince we shall find that she was uplifted not by human but by divine citizens into whom was inspired not human but divine love in their love of her and this could not nor might not be save for some special end purposed by god in so great an infusion of heaven and who shall say that it was without divine inspiration that fabricius refused an almost infinite quantity of gold because he would not abandon his fatherland that curious whom the samnites tried to corrupt refused a huge mass of gold for love of his fatherland saying that the roman citizens desired to possess not gold but the possessors of the gold that mucius burned his own hand because he had missed the blow whereby he had thought to deliver rome who shall say of torquatus who judged his own son to death for love of the public good that he endured this without divine help and the above said brutus in like manner who shall say it of the decii and of the drusi who laid down their life for their country 
and of the captive regulus sent from carthage to rome to exchange the captive carthaginians against himself and the other captive romans who shall say that when the legation had withdrawn the advice he gave for love of rome against himself was prompted only by human nature who shall say of quintus and senatus who was appointed dictator and taken from the plough and after his term of office laid it down of his own accord and went back to his ploughing who shall say of camillus banished and cast into exile that he came to free rome from her foes and when he had freed her withdrew of his own will into exile so as not to offend the authority of the senate without divine instigation o most hallowed bosom of cato who shall presume to speak of thee verily none can speak of thee more worthily than by keeping silence and following the example of jerome who in his proem to the bible where he comes to tell of paul says that it were better to hold one's peace than to come short in speech of a surety it must be manifest when we remember the life of these and of the other divine citizens that not without some light of divine goodness superadded to the excellence of their own nature such marvels were done and it must be manifest that these most excellent ones were instruments wherewith the divine providence proceeded in the roman empire wherein many a time the arm of god was seen to be present and did not god set his own hand to the battle in which the albans fought with the romans at the beginning for the headship of rule when one only roman held in his hand the freedom of rome did not god interpose with his own hand when the franks had taken all rome and were seizing the capital by stealth at night and only the voice of a goose gave notice of it did not god interpose with his own hand when in the war of hannibal so many citizens had perished that three bushels of rings were carried off to africa and the romans were ready to abandon their land had not that blessed scipio young as he was undertaken his expedition into africa for the deliverance of rome and did not god interpose with his own hand when a recent citizen a small estate tully to wit defended the liberty of rome against so great a city as was catiline yea verily wherefore we need demand no more in order to see that a special birth and special progress thought out and ordained by god was that of the holy city and verily i am of firm opinion that the stones that are fixed in her walls are worthy of reverence and the soil where she sits more worthy than man can preach or prove End of section 14